This podcast is a project of the Climate Designers Network. Hey, it's Eric. Welcome to another episode of Climify. I think this is the 16th episode for season three. And you might be asking, how many more of these are there? Well, three, to be exact, just three. That may bring a tear to your eye or a big sense of relief. Who knows? But the next two episodes are focused on empowerment. While these past two have been catered to climate entrepreneurship. In addition, we have a special back to school episode dedicated to the practice and teaching of life-centered design. Now, one of the great things about doing this show outside of meeting wonderful people like today's guest is hearing from you. And a while back, I got a message from a listener named Sam. He wrote, Hi, Eric and team. I wanted to reach out and say a big thank you for your podcast. I learned about Climify and the podcast through Instagram. Your work is encouraging, uplifting, and inclusive. I'm looking forward to tuning in more. All the best, Sam. Thank you, Sam. And we're going to do our best to make sure that we continue to bring encouraging, uplifting, and inclusive stories to you and everyone else. So if you have time and want to suggest a guest or offer some praise or even critique, please do. You can do that over on Instagram, LinkedIn, or my email that's listed on our website, which is climatedesigners.org forward slash edu forward slash In addition, I have some also pretty cool news. So Climify is a big supporter of this group called Design Declares. And now we're featured as one of the case studies over on their toolkit with a bunch of other great climate endeavors. You can join their movement over at designdeclares.com. And also check out the toolkit where you can find some inspiring case studies. And now on to our guest today. So I was introduced to Bianca by our co-producer, Bianca. Team Bianca, they are great. The Bianca we're talking to today is the CEO and founder of Edge Foods. They're creating a reliable supply of high-performing recumbent proteins for cell-based foods and cosmetics. What does that mean? Well, I didn't know, but in the conversation today, I learned so much about the importance of plant-based proteins in replacing our addiction to red meat in our diet, not only for our own health, but for that of the planet. Bianca is a climate entrepreneur. Oh, and she's also a designer. And she'll get into how her design background was vital for her, not only entering into this climate entrepreneurship space, but also keeping her successful in it. In fact, Bianca has a four-step formula for being an effective climate entrepreneur. So you do not want to miss this episode. And without further ado, Bianca. Hello, I'm Bianca, co-founder and CEO of Edge Foods. And we are a biotech startup manufacturing recombinant proteins and growth factors for the future of food. We are located in New York City. And you can find us at www.edgefoods.co. Also on LinkedIn and Instagram. Bianca, welcome to Climify. It's wonderful to have you on the show today and excited to talk to you about your company and, and the, 
the solution sectors you're working on and food and industry and agriculture from the drawdown solution sectors. Thank you so much, Eric. It's an honor to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to record this for how long now? <laughs> a few months. I honestly, it, it's a blur. Summer, um, you have a lot to do in your company, I'm sure. A lot of it was my fault mm -hmm. for being away for so long, but I'm glad we found today and I'm really interested in your company. First, can you talk a little bit about your company? And then I have a bunch of questions about that after. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I know that it could be a little technical and hard to understand. So essentially what we're doing is we're this biotech startup started in January 2022, and we're a B2B company creating these recombinant proteins and growth factors for the use in production of cultivated meat and dairy. So you're probably wondering what growth factors even are. And I so am. are these- I am. <laughs> <laughs> as most, I imagine, but um, they are these specific proteins and hormones that are essential for cells to grow. And the problem is that they're incredibly expensive to purchase for, for a number of reasons. I can get into it, but I don't think it's very relevant. Mm. So these growth factors are just one ingredient in the nutrient broth that is fed to cells so they can survive in, in, in vitro. So in cellular agriculture, when you take, let's say, cells out of a cow, you need to make sure that they're alive once they're taken out of the organism. And you also need to make sure you're feeding them all the same things that they were getting in their natural environment. So we are providing one of those ingredients in the cell food. And we're doing so in a much more affordable way and a much more efficacious way. Thus letting the cultivated meat producers achieve a much lower cost of production, which would then be a transferred cost saving for the eventual customer at the supermarket, let's say. Yeah, I have a lot of follow-up questions to that yeah. book, but one of them is that you were once previously a designer, correct? Correct. Yeah. And I'm a designer and I don't much understand anything you just said. So <laughs> you've pivoted into this entrepreneurial and sort of scientist role. Before I try to go into everything you just said, how did you get into um, the food world? Do you have a cultural connection to it? Um, and what was what drew you into um, what you're doing there at Edge Foods? Yeah, I mean, that's a very valid question. I, yeah. I don't, even, don't even know where to start. Uh, I think my two passions have always been food and design. And... I think my fascination more specifically with food started with my father being di diagnosed with Parkinson's when I was about 12 years old. Oh. So in an effort to improve his condition or to slow down the progression of the disease, I just became very immersed in the world of nutrition or thinking yeah. of food as medicine. And so I decided to uh, start my undergraduate degree at Syracuse University in nutrition science. So that's what I was doing for a long time. And I, I doubled that with advertising because I was using the design background in, a, I guess, a, a more commercial way, trying to think about what a career would look like. And through that, I mean, there were very different programs, but 
in my sophomore year, a new department opened up at my university called food studies. And I had no idea what that meant, but I started taking classes in that program. So classes titled agroecology, which was my favorite, or global agroecology. Yeah. It's It's really exciting. I know. Um, Global agri-food governance. So, So slowly over time, I realized I was much more interested in the big picture implications of food production rather than just nutrition. So then I decided to switch my major and then I was food studies and advertising. And I guess really for, for lack of knowing how to navigate that career wise, I decided to, to more focus on the advertising and design side. So then I went to UC Berkeley and studied product design and then just went, went that route. Sprinkled throughout my career were also a lot of different experiences in the food world. I took a summer and uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, it's called Woofing Worldwide Opportunities in Organic Farming. It's, no. it's a, no, it's a it great, I'm, Woofing? Yeah, W-W-O-O-F is the acronym and you can just turn it into a verb. People just say that they woof. I've, yeah, I'm woofing, yeah. Yeah, it's a great opportunity where you can, uh, in exchange for being a farmhand, essentially, you get to, they, they provide food and housing and you get to, it's worldwide. So you can work on a, um, a vineyard or in Portugal or, I mean, really anything, but I found a farm in Hawaii and I worked there for about four months, uh, farming on this six acre plot of organic fruits and vegetables, also managing their CSA. And I loved that. But again, I just, I couldn't really, I didn't know how to navigate a career more in that area so product design seemed pretty straightforward and i really enjoyed that too so i just stayed there and i, was, I worked for a number of silicon valley startups being a product designer and most recently i was uh, the lead product designer at a big corporation in late 2021 and around that time is when one of my best friends from childhood named manny we just in conversation one day, he was telling me about his ideas about starting his own company. Mm-hmm. And now Manny's always been the brains of our friend group. I've known him since I was about six years old. We grew up together in Miami and he got his PhD in tissue engineering from Columbia University. And he was working at that time as a director at a consulting firm that focused on alternative proteins. So he would be hired by potential investors to kind of vet the technology of the startups in this space to see or to gauge the value, I guess, whether or not he thinks that investors should invest or maybe hold back, what have you. So through that experience, he got kind of a behind the scenes or behind the curtain look at the obstacles that all of these companies were facing and they were repetitive. Most of them were facing the same kinds of challenges and Thanks to his experience and expertise, he felt empowered to address those. So that's when he was starting to think about breaking off and starting his own company. And in my conversations with him is when he he exposed me to the world that is cellular agriculture. I, I definitely didn't stumble yeah, upon this yeah. on my own. Uh, but once he did, he really ignited that flame. And I researched and read everything I could, any newsletter I signed up for any webinar, I watched it. 
anything, I, I started coming up with the name. And this is where my designer background came in because yeah. it became little things like creating the logo and designing the, the pitch deck to show initial investors and, and yeah. making a website and really little things here and there. And that led to us organically just agreeing that we were going to do this and we were going to do this together because we had very complementary skills and we we know each other so well. I mean, we, yeah, friends and since childhood. Better, yeah, exactly. Better than we know ourselves. So that was that was the beginning of Edge, and since then we've just taken off, kind of. Yeah, when you were talking there, you talked some about your beginning stages and. To me, it was the design process, right? You did tons of research. You wanted to yeah. find out more about it, just like you would if you're working with a brand new client in another industry, and that's exactly what you did. So it answered the question I was going to ask you, which was, you know, how did the transition from design into what you're doing at Edge Foods complement or impact each other? And so... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it seems like I it did. Yeah, yeah. There's so much more overlap, too, because... A lot of just the market research and customer discovery you do as a business is exactly what you do in user research as a product designer. Mm -hmm. You have these interviews, you do quantitative and qualitative research, you ask the right questions and you make sure they're not leading. You want to find the problem and a solution. It really is applicable. Yeah, for sure. And you had a lot of um, buzzwords within, would you call it the all protein industry? Would that be the correct terminology? Yeah, yeah. I could break it down. There's yeah, so let's go back to Edge Foods, and then I want to talk to you about uh, all the um, accelerators and venture capitalist stuff that happened after you and Manny um, came together. So back to Edge Foods and some of the words you were using. Can you can you boil that down to what I always do this to my students, like, Explain design to your mom, because <laughs> sometimes yeah. it seems like our parents don't really understand what designers do. But how can you explain this to a normal, everyday person? Yeah, of course. So alt proteins uh, refers to food ingredients or even beverages that have protein derived from non-animal sources. Mm -hmm. So protein as the macronutrient, not necessarily associated with coming from animals. Mm -hmm. And meat, eggs, and dairy, which pretty much makes up all the proteins, um, primarily coming from factory farms this day and age, has historically been a huge source of protein for people in high-income countries. And that rate of consumption is going up in developing nations as well. Uh, global meat consumption has doubled during the period of 1980 to 2002. So that's a huge problem. And, yeah. and with that, there's the environmental implications and all the other consequences to that kind of production. So alt protein is this emerging field of finding protein from non-animal sources. Would pea protein count in that? Because I, I know as a vegetarian, I've been, and I have a lactose issue, I've been looking at proteins to eat and I found pea protein. Is that part of that group or is that not? You know, I also learned recently I had a lactose issue. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. It, it yeah. happened, I think, for me, like, I feel like it was 10 years ago. I was just like, why is my stomach hurt all the time? <laughs> was it the same for you? or? No, it's funny. My my mother, she started drinking lactate without lactose. And I started seeing it in the fridge whenever I would visit home. 
And I, I, yeah. I'll, one day I just asked, I was like, why are you buying lactate? She's like, oh, I found out I was lactose intolerant. And I, and I looked at her, I was like, Ma, don't you think this is something you should have told me? You know, it's hereditary, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, no, I didn't, didn't even think of it. <laughs> Through that is when I realized that it was even something that I should pay attention to. And I, yeah, I am. I've been drinking also alternative milks. And yes, that would be considered. So under the umbrella of alternative protein, there's three branches. There's plant-based. There is precision fermentation, which is, I mean, fermentation has been used to develop foods forever. And this is just kind of a um, advancement within that. Because if you think about it, I mean, wine, yogurt, a lot of cheese. Oh, yeah. This is using fermentation. And then the third branch is the cell base, otherwise known as cultivated. And that one is is arguably the, the newest. And, and edge foods, is that involved with all three or or not? Yeah, no. Uh, edge foods is only involved in the cellular agriculture. Got it. So the last, last of the- A last one, the newest one, right? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I read recently um, about the carbon footprint of, we'll say, just the beef industry and how, you know, it's not only um, leading to deforestation, uh, concerns in like South America, for instance. Um, but I was reading how the carbon uh, emissions from the beef industry is actually more than the travel industry. Mm-hmm. And the you would actually make a bigger climate impact by just giving up red meat than it would be flying on a plane. And that was, I don't know, have you, first of all, have you heard that before? Cause you're in that industry. But for me, it was like, wow, uh, being a vegetarian yeah. has been a good decision on my part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard it before. It's a popular one. Okay, so one, one thing that you were talking about, which I think about a lot as a designer is starting my own something, whether it be a business, I run a nonprofit and it all came from design. And so when you, you met, uh, Manny again, or or reconnected, I guess, with one of your close friends about this company. Um, you uh, both entered into um, what would be called an accelerator program to to start the business. Can you talk about that and and how that accelerator program helped you um, get Edge Foods off the ground? Yeah, of course. So when we started, it was very initial stages. We we were both working full time and eventually transitioned from that, but we'd, we'd be working on this any moment we had. And we got our own little lab space here in New York. But at the time I was still in Miami. Manny was here. I was in Miami and not until we were certain we had been accepted into this accelerator did I move, move to New York city, but besides the point, uh, and we just started pitching. We started talking to any investor that we could. Mm-hmm. cold emailing, LinkedIn research, exhausting our network, trying to find the right people. And we applied. There's so many. There's so many different incubators and accelerators and open source applications online. So we just submitted as much as we could. And IndieBio, we submitted online on their website and they got back to us. IndieBio is one of the most reputable too. It's up there with Y Combinator, but IndieBio specializes in the food or excuse me, in the biotech space. Okay. So, so everything was done online. We had a lot of 
Zoom calls and meetings discussing our business model, our technological approach, the feasibility, the agreements of terms. And then we we decided it was, well, first they offered to have us on in their cohort. And we decided it was by far the best decision for us at that time. And we we were a part of it. It began in October 2022. It was a five-month program, and it was incredibly helpful for a number of ways. I think it really just had, it was a catalyst for us as a startup. It gave us capital, which is a huge one. Some indicators don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is the, the bloodline of a startup. You need that. Uh, they gave us access to a lab space here in New York City, which is also difficult to find. It's very expensive. Yeah. They also gave us access to their network of investors, mentors, advisors, anyone, anyone and everyone. Also, to their alumni network, so everyone else who's also graduated from this program, we were able to get in touch with if we needed to for any reason. So the whole network was very helpful. And so the structure of the program was kind of like a a five-month crash course with online classes, if you will. Uh, where they would have a different theme per call and they would just teach us about or have industry leaders teach us about those different topics. For example, there was one about pitching. There was one about finances. There was one about an experimentation plan for your startup, the technology side. And we were a part of cohort. So there were another seven companies in our cohort. And it was also great to have them because they were going through the same thing you were. So there's a lot of camaraderie and solidarity. Yeah, that makes sense. Community was built for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were unfortunately remote at the time. Everyone was in their and respective were, state yeah. or country. Yeah. yeah. So now now the, the, the cohort is in New York City. So it's great to, to see them because we're also located in IndieBio's headquarters here in New York City. We, we moved our lab to be here, but we also, since we're in the same space, we see the current cohorts group and it, yeah. it, it looks even more fun that they're able to be here in person. I bet, you know, just being back in person is so much, so much better for that. Yeah. Well, what resources, uh, strategies or approaches within the curriculum at uh, IndieBio did you feel was most valuable to you and Edge Foods? So I would say, first and foremost, the act with the capital yeah. and their scheme and their, their massive Yeah, network. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the last space was vital for us to do the work we needed to do. Yeah. And the kind of the tips and tricks are just the basics, the fundamental how to pitch, what should your deck look like to get investors interested. Really, the if the secret to being a startup is to just, and they said it like this verbatim, you just don't run out of money. You keep doing the work you need to do and you manage to, to do as much as you can and get more money and yeah. stay afloat to keep your head above water. Yeah. that's And that's a huge challenge, right? Just to, to do something. It sounds simple, but it it's not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what ways do you think the, the VC accelerator and cohort programs in general elevate your um, expertise in, in the world of climate? Mm-hmm. I'd say the accelerators taught me more about 
climate change just by virtue of being around all of these passionate entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Every cohort was filled with these technical startups that were addressing very unique problems, most of which related in some way to sustainability. For example, there is one startup in the MIT's Blueprint cohort we are also part of um, that was focused on addressing how unsustainable current concrete manufacturing practices are. Something I've never even considered. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, or or another company called Biofluff that is making plant-based fur and taught us all about the the unsustainable and unethical practices of the fur industry. So just by being around these people and seeing these things they're coming up with and explaining to us the problems they're solving, I've learned so much. Yeah. Yeah, so you're learning from the other people in the cohort a lot about right. these issues. And I'm also wondering, since this season is really dedicated to women and what they're doing um, for climate action, I'm curious about how the programs you were involved with, in your opinion, helped create more access for women entrepreneurs, um, especially in this area of climate. Mm-hmm. Both of the programs, they really did champion inclusivity and diversity. Half of our Indie Bio cohort founders were women. And I'm sure it influenced their initial selection, but, but to be honest, There were no special initiatives geared towards us women founders. That would have been nice. Maybe some. They need more there then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they supported us, but there was no specialized attention. I I would say it was more generally you're, you're a founder now and you're going to be, you know, treated just like everyone else. Congrats and good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you felt there could be more work done there. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know so much if it was just on the being a female founder or just generally speaking, feeling like being a first time startup founder in general is very difficult and any type of guidance is much appreciated. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I'm sure. And it's probably exacerbated by the fact that I'm coming from a very different background. Mm-hmm. Like there are mostly Design. technical founders. Yeah. And most of the the founders, it's so interesting for me because most of the, I, I was in rooms that I would never imagine. And there's, there's even just a personality difference between what, what a designer is like and what a scientist is like. Mm-hmm. And I was dealing with much different types of people. And since these cohorts were more catered to scientists, there was an emphasis on teaching them how to communicate their very technical ideas in a way that the general public could understand versus the opposite with Manny and I, where I think my strength is actually doing that internally, taking his technical jargon, which for him, because he's just so involved in this type of you know world that his baseline understanding or his assumption for the general public's baseline understanding is so much higher than I think <laughs> it is really the case. Yes. So me communicating that technical science has been such a strength of ours. Yeah, you mean you're um, doing visual communication, right? Design. Yeah. Or <laughs> all all the words that are relevant to 
called protein and everything else. We've been talking about uh, this season, the idea of a climate designer uh, from a design educator perspective. Um, I'm thinking of the word climate entrepreneur for you. Mm. How would you define that term climate entrepreneur? And do you think you are one? Definitely. I think to be in the alt protein space inherently makes you a climate entrepreneur. Everyone in the industry is a climate entrepreneur. I haven't met one founder who didn't mention the environment's degradation as a key motivator for the work they do. Being in this field allows you to feel purpose, like your efforts are actually working towards finding maybe not the solution, but a piece of the solution. And there's there's an intrinsic connection between food and the environment that can't be overstated. Our food system is completely dependent on the natural earth and the damage we've caused by using these outdated models of production is making it so we can't continue to do so. So it's, it's counterproductive. And um, so yes, I would classify anyone looking to make agriculture's footprint smaller a climate entrepreneur. We'll take a quick commercial break here and then get back to the conversation. Where do young designers see themselves at the intersection of climate change and innovation, and how can we teach that intersection in the classroom? Designers are problem solvers, capable of imagining solutions for a more sustainable future. My name is Rachel Cifarelli, and I'm part of the Climate Designers New Wave team. In the past few years, New Wave has released two reports exploring students' experiences of climate design education, or lack thereof, and what they hope to see in their classes. Now we want you, design educators, to use this research in your classrooms. And this summer, we're giving educators a chance to talk to the New Wave team directly. Twice a month, the New Wave researchers will be available to walk you through our findings, answer any questions you have, and help you implement actionable project briefs directly into your classroom. We'll also show you how to use our media kit to easily share the research with your students and how they can sign up to be a participant. Head to climatedesigners.org edu slash new wave to sign up for a call with the New Wave team. Help us inform a new wave of design education, one that teaches every designer how to be a climate designer. Are you someone who loves the ocean, climate solutions, sustainability, and marine biology? Hi, I'm Carissa, a marine biologist and co-host of Sustainability in the Sea, a podcast for ocean people looking to find their way in ocean conservation. We sit down with wave makers doing awesome work to protect our blue planet, and you can listen to their story to help you build yours. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, from a climate designer to a climate entrepreneur, I'm excited to learn more about um, what you're doing. And I've been doing some digging. Um, my co-producer Bianca has been doing some digging on mm -hmm. alternative proteins. And so we found a um, quote for you. Um, I think it's from the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And they have this publication called The Future Appetite for Alternative Proteins. And mm -hmm. we thought we'd ask you uh, for your take on this quote. And, and they write, all proteins uh, stand to bolster sustainable and efficient domestic protein production that is more resilient to unpredictable economic shocks. Um, for climate change, the list of core benefits from shorter supply chain equaling fewer inputs, so then producing fewer greenhouse gas emissions. And there's some more. But the 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 big thing there is we wanted your hot take on um, 
how do you think or how does edge food disrupt that highly saturated startup industry in addition to the benefits of, and the impacts that you think that edge foods is contributing to the climate discourse? At edge, what we're doing is we're creating this enabling technology that so we're creating better ingredients to go into that nutrient broth. And as a B2B play, we're helping these cell-based food producers have better self-feed, essentially. Mm -hmm. And we're doing it better than our competitors because we're using a more robust expression system we've created that allows us to virtually eliminate downstream processing. And that's a bit technical, but essentially we're creating a more nutritious and affordable self-food to bring down the cost of making cultivated meat and dairy. So... I guess like the I've watched so many episodes of Shark Tank and <laughs> and um, that's when I think of like founders. Um, that's what comes to mind. I think of Shark. Yeah. I think about that word disruption, and I've seen a few episodes where there's alt protein companies. I'm curious, just personally, like how do you feel like your design background has helped you become a disruptor? I think that this is such a unique space to be in right now because it's so new that there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lack of knowledge in every aspect. And I think that it's really going to matter how it's marketed to the general public in terms of the rate of consumer adaptation. And I think that that's, that's going to be a desire that it'd be a huge component or an influencer in that people I agree. like are attracted to things. Of course. Yeah. People are attracted to things that look good and are aesthetically pleasing and and design also influences the the trust or legitimacy warranted to a brand. So since this is so new and there's a lot of criticisms associated with things like cellular agriculture, I think that design is gonna be an a very important aspect to the success of these new markets. And there, there's, I can use an example right now. Upside Foods is one of the the most well-known at this point because they've received USDA. Yes, Upside Foods. Okay. And they received USDA and FDA kind of clearance to allow them to start selling their products in the US. And they were previously called Memphis Meat. And they had a very different brand voice. So they they shifted it and did this rebranding and now they're called Upside Foods and now their imagery and visuals are much more friendly and colorful and almost, I want to say in a way, childlike. And I think it's because they've realized that that's going to reach people better and it's going to sit in a way that'll benefit them just with brand voice. Yeah. Yeah. That that reminds me of something I saw recently where there was an article about lab-based alternative proteins, right? Oh, and, gosh. And, Labeling is so important. Yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. And I was thinking about design um, at that point, and then I think you just nailed it for me, is that that brand voice, like the importance of the designer in being able to communicate visually that yeah it's grown in a lab but 
that's good. It's okay. It's actually maybe better for these reasons. And I think that's a huge design challenge because mm-hmm. I think the first thing that I thought when I heard about that was you. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing. But then again, I'm, you know, I'm drinking pea protein in my smoothies and why yeah. am I okay doing that, but not investigating kind of the work that you're doing at Edge Foods and, and eating that? Yeah. It's true. It's just association. The vast majority of food you eat nowadays is not is made in a facility. It's manufactured. It's not growing that way. Yeah, for sure. So you're also a climate designer as well as a climate entrepreneur, I would say, if you're doing all that design work. Um, have you ever had to, with your company, get into, you mentioned the FDA, right? And um, I'm assuming they're a challenge to work with because they have their um, safety and security. Can you talk about your experience working with patents and the FDA or other sort of regulatory requirements that you that you need to uh, align with to scale your your company? Yeah, yeah, we have we filed for a few patents, and that's been pretty seamless. All I would say there is that I think it's hard for companies in this space to have to rely on the VC model because. Mm-hmm. Those investors are focused on maximizing their return on their investment. And these technical sciences are hard, but frankly, they're difficult to, to create and they mm-hmm. take time. So it puts unwarranted pressure on the the team to do things faster than they're able to. So I do think, generally speaking, there needs to be more academic collaborations and government funding and things that grants, for example, things that will allow that these teams that are so focused on creating these novel technologies, the the freedom to, to focus on the technology rather than worrying about the concerns that come along with taking invest investors' money. Yeah, you got to pay them and, back, right? I, that's the shark tank that I know about. Yeah, yeah, it is. It can, it can be a shark tank, definitely. Yeah. And um, in terms of regulation, it's, it's, it's still a gray area. We know that the end manufacturers, the upsides, for example, who will be selling their products in supermarkets, they definitely need regulation and, and certifications and the right labels, et cetera. But being a B2B play, it still hasn't been delineated exactly how the regulation is going to work because we're, we're an input in their products. So whose responsibility it is to get the regulatory approval in in our case is still up for grabs. We were speaking to a regulatory consultant who told us that he was able to broker some type of negotiation between a company like ours and the company's customer. Mm-hmm. And somehow they, they had shared the costs, but I think it was implying that they had some type of agreement that isn't you know, it's particular to their situation. So there is no guide. Yeah. Well, I was looking at your your website and speaking of design, you know, I really do like the packaging you've been working on. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, it, it seems to me when I look at it, it seems very friendly as there's a lot of gradients and also um, the sort of natural organic shapes throughout, which to me, I guess, makes me feel a little bit more comfortable with it. And I, and one thing that 
I don't think we've gone into yet was I, I know that one of one of the things that you do is you're making this alternative protein not just for um, people to eat, but I saw there's something around um, the cosmetics industry. And can you talk more about that? Yeah, happy to. We decided to try and diversify our business model since a lot of the things we are manufacturing were applicable also to the cosmetics industry. Some of these recombinant proteins and growth factors are already used in a number of skincare products where they're skin rejuvenating and anti-aging properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, but that's a completely different industry. So we had to go back to the drawing board to try to figure out how one becomes a supplier of cosmetics ingredients and still trying to figure that out. And it's also, there's also a marketing conundrum in the cosmetics industry as well but i don't think we have time to get into that yeah that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other show right the, what's going yeah. on in the cosmetics world really though it's fascinating um because so much so much of it is dependent on consumer understanding of these otherwise very complex sciences yeah so we decided to uh diversify and and really play up the platform capabilities of the technology and the bioprocess we've been developing. And that is also applicable to the biopharmaceutical industry since, you know, tissue engineering came from pharmaceutical industry. They're the first ones doing these things at much higher cost and at much higher margin doing uh, drug therapies and things of that nature. So it's like taking that science and making it as cheap and as possible for these commodified products because we're not selling pharmaceuticals at insane prices we're trying to sell things like food and cosmetics yeah well this is like a really fascinating and and i think important space as we look at drawing down our greenhouse gas emissions right i mean um, we're gonna have to have protein we have to eat it but we can't have so much reliance on meat for that in in the future and so I guess how or what do you see happening next in this space um, in the next five years? I think that there's been a lot of advancements. People didn't expect the USDA and FDA to give green lights as soon as they did. And of course, there's a lot of criticisms with the feasibility of bringing this science down to reach cost parity with conventional livestock protein today since it is pretty affordable but Mm -hmm. it's so affordable we're not paying the true cost yeah it's largely subsidized and there are the environmental implications that make it harder to make more in the future but what i think is going to be happening in the next five years would be some of these players bringing their products to market and having to deal with the education and the right marketing and brand voice i think before I mean, even the the first products coming to market aren't going to be 100% cells at all. They're going to be a very small percent cells, and they're what's called hybrid products. So they're going to be some cells, but uh, also mixed with plant proteins. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, let's say, cultivated cow or chicken meat mixed with your pea protein, your mung bean, your soybean protein. Oh, I see. 
Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like the the energy mix. We have to have some coal in the transition, but we're going to have to go on. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's so necessary. There's another company called Omeat, for example, who are making a, they're using the plasmid of from cow blood to manufacture their cultivated meat. So they're still involving cows somewhat, although they don't need to kill the animal. Uh, but it, But some people criticize that because there's still dependency on the animal but it's still a step in the right direction and -hmm. i think it needs to be incremental that way to make long-term change it need not be zero to 100 you could do these smaller steps and in their model as well they're they're involving the farmers which i think is a huge thing and this field they don't i don't think there's been enough discussion around the labor implications or about the transition what that transition looks like Mm mm-hmm yeah, and, and and I think at the same time as this show is is geared towards our design educator audience, I think design has a big role to play in in what you just described, right? Because is it going to be like for me as a vegetarian, would I be okay eating this alternative protein with cow blood? Mm-hmm. How can design play a role in making me feel better <laughs> about doing that when I haven't? eaten anything related to cow in like over 20 years right yeah i mean that's a huge debate whether or not these things can be considered you know the difference between labeling something animal free or cell-based or vegan labeling is a really big department it's a conundrum and with with edge foods um this this whole season has based on the project drawdown um, solution sectors. And I'm curious for you on how you see edge foods really aligning with some of the, you know, greenhouse gas drawdown solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, looking at the project drawdown solutions, I definitely think we're a part of the shifting agriculture practices effort yeah. under the food. I see that too. I definitely see that. Yeah. I mean, again, we're such a small piece of this puzzle, but we're doing our part. Yeah, you are. And you are um, an entrepreneur which has a very high failure rate for for what I've been reading, right? <laughs> and I know there's been a lot of uh, people that I know who come from a design background like you who want to be in that entrepreneurial space, whether it be running their own studio or turning something into um, bring it to market. So, uh, I guess what I'm wondering, cause I'm, I'm terrible at entrepreneurship and, uh, <laughs> this is why I'm in education. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have like a survival toolkit for future climate entrepreneurs, uh, that you could, um, share with us today. Uh, what, what things do we need to consider, um, so that we can also build something for a better future? This is a great question. I don't, I mean, looking back, I think I was a little naive in considering what what it meant to be starting a startup, mm-hmm. which is probably for the best because I think if I knew I, would, I wouldn't have done it. It's, uh, yeah. it's a lot, but I think it's fruitful and definitely worth it. So I think I'd start by just reflecting on what surprised me most from my journey thus far. And my mind goes to a few things. First off, getting started isn't nearly as difficult as I imagined. You honestly, you just do it. 
yeah. you don't need much. And in the VC startup world, there are just a few things required. You need a, obviously a great idea. You need evidence to your ability to execute said idea. You need research proving you are solving a real problem and a pitch deck. So you need one through three. And then number four is just showing one through three in an aesthetically pleasing way. Yeah. Um, I I remember that, that first point you made about being a little naive. Mm-hmm. I think that even might be a, an important thing because I remember, gosh, um, being younger and naive and then not having a lot of like financial responsibilities, I guess, or other life responsibilities. And I think that helped me be a little naive too, where I jumped into starting my own studio. Uh, yeah. It failed. It failed miserably, but um, I think that's the high failure rate, right? And But I don't think, like you said, I, if I would have known all the things I know now about that, I probably would have went, okay, I'm just going to stick with the <laughs> right. 401k at some company, right? Right. But at the same time, even if, honestly, even if we fail, I wouldn't have taken it back for a second because of everything we've gained on the way. I've learned so much. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, one of my favorite things that a professor told me was to just to fail. Like you got to try and that's an important part of being a creative person, right? As you learn from what you failed at and you get better at it. And I think it's yeah. similar in your space. Yeah, definitely. It's a There's a fine line between stupidity and bravery, but sometimes <laughs> it doesn't matter. I like that. Yeah. Well, we're coming up to my last and, and most of the time favorite question, and I'm interested in, in what you have to say here. And um, and that is um, everything I've been asking you is sort of built up to this. And I'm asking you to switch shoes with me. You know, you're a design educator for a semester or five or six weeks. And knowing what you know, what what, what would you assign to design students what kind of problems or projects would you like them to to tackle? There's going to be so much opportunity for designers in the alt protein space. I think it's under prioritized right now since there's more focus on the technical R&D, but it's just a matter of time. Yeah. More and more companies are making advancements towards the regulatory approval. So next will come consumer awareness, consumer awareness and education. Mm-hmm. I think the general public is resistant to the idea of alt proteins because they don't understand the benefits or the science behind it. So change can be scary. Oh yeah. Good design, good des- yeah. But that's where design comes in because it can make a world of difference. Mm-hmm. There's the immense influence of branding and packaging design, like you were saying with RM packaging. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to what influences somebody's decision-making at the supermarket, what makes you grab one over the other? Uh, sometimes so it's think, money, sometimes it's the packaging, right? But yeah, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, if I'm being completely transparent, I think the most if 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 cultivated meat and cultivated dairy can check the boxes of affordability and taste, everything else will will follow. I think yeah. those by far are the most important things. I for, agree. Yeah, if it's affordable and and tastes amazing, then yeah, no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> So what I think I would do is I'd assign a project where the students are assigned real startup partners because there's so many in this space. They could use the help. 
and it yeah. would give the students, yeah, it would give the students real world experience to address the lack of understanding surrounding their innovations. I would have the students design the website, for example, of an existing off-protein startup or design some type of educational materials, some online education center, infographic, visually explaining the science or benefits of their approach. I mean, the, I think the options are endless. Yeah. And there's a lot of these spaces out there, like IndieBio, um, is it Food Hack? Is that another one? There's also the engine at yeah. MIT. So there's a lot of places where people can connect with. Yeah. And I do think that there's a there's a shortage of designers in in this area because it does require some type of basic understanding of science. And the ones who are in this space aren't usually creatively inclined. Yeah. This is why we need you as an educator so you can teach these designers to be in this space, right? So you have <laughs> another career option here if you need it. Yeah. Yeah. And if any of your students want to reach out, I'm happy to talk to them too. Oh, well, awesome. Thank you. It's It's been an honor talking to you, Bianca. And uh, before we go, I want um, people to have a chance to hear again where we can find you online. Yeah, of course, Eric. It's been really my pleasure. It's been refreshing to just have a conversation about these things. And if anyone's interested, you can learn more about the company at www.edgefoods.com. EO. There's also Edge Food Co. on Instagram and LinkedIn. We also have a Twitter, but it's not very active. <laughs> and also feel free to connect with me personally on LinkedIn. Well, thank you, Bianca. And it has been a great almost hour with you. Likewise. Thanks. This podcast is co-produced by Bianca Sandico and me. A big special thanks to Ellen Keith Shaw and Christine Pilot for their gorgeous work on our new branding, Matul Rashik and Mark O'Brien for their continued design help, Brandy Nichols and Michelle Wynn for their strategic guidance and always supporting me on this podcast. If you enjoy the work we all do here and you have a spare minute or two, we would truly appreciate it if you left a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. The more folks that review our program, the higher the algorithm pushes up Climify in the search results. And in turn, the more likely we all can learn how to become climate designers. <laughs> <laughs>